passage. We'll need a, a, a little stand for the readers, too, or reader, however. You have readers, right, plural? One? Okay, we'll have one reader. <laughs> but before he comes up, thank you, Daniel. Uh, John chapter 20, just make a few opening remarks here. As you, uh, as we t- turn to it. No, I may need my glasses. Sorry about that. So, Andres, you see my glasses there? John chapter 20. <clears throat> what we have here in the Gospel of John is... Uh, uh, no, there's, there's a pair of spectacles there somewhere. Without those, I am nothing. <laughs> nothing anyway. Maybe they're in my pocket. <laughs> ah, yes. <laughs> Sorry about that. John chapter 20, just make a few remarks and then Daniel will make his way up here to read for us. John's testimony to the resurrection is what we have. We have, of course, four Gospels. John is the fourth. And we have here the fourth account of the life and ministry of Jesus. Now, every biography, of course, would include the birth, the life, and the death of an individual. But this account that we have before us here is unique, of course, is because it records a resurrection, the resurrection, right? This person is indeed unique, our Lord Jesus Christ. It's common knowledge, is it not, that that uh, someone dies, but it's uncommon knowledge that someone lives beyond death. We know that the, there was one, the Lord Jesus, that stood and said, Revelation 1.18, I am he that lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore and have the keys of hell and of death. And so we thank our God then for such a story. And we're going to hear it now as Daniel comes up and reads John chapter 20. John 1 through 9, and Dalith will read 10 through 18. Uh, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping in, to, stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linens cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. And then the other disciple, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scriptures that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Picking up from verse ten, and the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and she wept, and she stopped to look into the tomb. 
and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she said, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know what, that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? Supposing him to be a gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him. I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she said to, she said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that I, he had said to those things to her. Thank you. It's by observation, of course, we know people die. Only by revelation do we know people live beyond death. There is a resurrection, and we know that by revelation, the revelation of God's holy word. Now, I want to say that this is uh, objective fact, fact, not subjective fancy. And what I mean by that is because there's a host of books now and were, right, of those that had supposedly died, you know, and went to the other side, and they come back and they tell us. Well, I do know this, that the only one that actually did that was Paul, and he said they couldn't be spoken, right? He heard words that could not be spoken. So we don't have the subjective fancy. I'm not doubting that that happened. If people want to say they've gone beyond and come back and tell us, that's all wonderful. But we have objective fact here in the Word of God, just as we heard the Savior quote, I am he that was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I grew up hearing a nice, uh, a dear brother, uh, and he, he actually spoke in poetry. Bernard Fell was his name, and he said this, Upon a life I did not live. Upon a death I did not die. Another's life, another's death. I stake my whole eternity. So this morning, if you know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, you can say that. Not on the subjective fancy of somebody that wrote a book and recorded what they saw, but we have one who went down into the dust of death, and we can trust him for what he said. And he said, I am he who lives and was dead. Behold, I am alive forevermore. Upon a life I did not live. Upon a death I did not die. Another's life, another's death I stake my whole eternity. So we have in the Gospels a disclosure of the uh, uh, of the resurrection. And then in the epistles, the letters, in the end of our Bible, we have the doctrine of the resurrection. We won't... Uh, we may refer to that uh, a time or two. But the disclosure or the fact is what we're considering this morning in John chapter 20. Among many other things that we learn from the resurrection of Jesus is there is an in invisible world and immortality is a fact, right? There is an invisible world and immortality is a fact. The resurrection is all through the word of God from Genesis to Revelation, prophetically predicted in the Old Testament, historically recorded in the Gospels before us, boldly defended in the Acts of the Apostles, thoroughly expounded in the Epistles and victoriously consummated in the Revelation, the last book of the Bible. So yes, what we have before us here is the fourth account, John's testimony to the, res to the resurrection, but the testimony will center around one person, right? If you we've listened to the reading, it's going to center around Mary, Mary Magdalene, as she has called. What effect did the resurrection of the Lord Jesus have on her? What effect? She's mentioned a number of times 
uh, in, in the New Testament, but mostly in respect to the cross and the resurrection. And, of course, we'll comment on her a little later. The meditation today, as we consider in John chapter 20, will center around the resurrection of Jesus and the response of Mary. And we'll ask this question. Has the resurrection affected you and me the same way that it affected Mary? Has it affected you? This glorious resurrection, this, this, uh, only, uh, an event that only could happen because of the, of, of the Lord Jesus and who He is, has it affected you and me the same way it affected Mary? So, in chapter 19, 19, we left the body of Jesus recorded there dead already. When the soldiers came, they found that He was dead already. That's chapter 19. And when we come uh, and on the cross and then in the tomb at, at, at the end of chapter 19, there he died, a king crucified to save a poor sinner like me. And yet, yet we thank our God that it wasn't a defeat, right? The Bible clearly says that through death, he destroyed him that had the power of death. That is the devil and to deliver them who through all their lifetime were subject to bondage. It's interesting as we search the scriptures, uh, death is, is somewhat, uh, it is actually personified in a per- certain spot of the Bible. If you're familiar with the book of Job, you see there's a dialogue between Job and his friends. And at one point, the, uh, the, the speaker there, he, he refers to death as it were a person and he calls death the king of terrors. He, that the individual that is under consideration could be any human being, you, me, my brother, my sister, whoever. He is torn from the security of his tent and they march him before the king of terrors. That's the way death is viewed. And when we stop and think about it, we must agree, though this is a poetic description of death, death is a fearful monarch. Yet all must be brought there. Remember David, King David, I go the way of all the earth, right? It's the way it is. We... We dread the interview with that fearful king, and we know there's no release apart from what the Lord Jesus has done. And we understand that this monarch, the king of terrors, reigns from age to age to age. The king of terrors reigns. Yet, you see, we thank the Lord for the king eternal, the king of the ages, right? The king triumphant, now unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible, who went down to the dust of death and suffered you and me that he might rise victorious. So John chapter 20 is before us, and there's, it really divides the resurrection events into two. From uh, where we read, or the, where the two brothers read, 1 through 18, and then 19 through 25, Lord willing, we'll consider that next week. One that we're going to consider, the first section, 1 through 18, is early uh, in the morning. The other one is in the evening. The first section takes place at the grave. The second takes place in the upper room. Uh, the first section, the grave is open, right? Mary came to find, to look at the grave. It wasn't closed. It was open. The second section, the upper room is closed for fear of the Jews. In the first section, there's ignorance and tears. And in the second section, there's knowledge and joy. So let's start with verse number one. A word about Mary Magdalene. She's the first one mentioned. The first day of the week comes Mary. Now we learn from the last uh, chapter of the book of Mark that when uh, Mary was there, when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene after he had, out of whom he had cast seven demons. Here was a, a woman who had seven demons, the Bible says. Seven 
we're familiar with biblical numerology and just anywhere we read in the Bible, we know it suggests a completeness, a completeness. And here this dear lady was dominated by demons until she met the Savior. We don't read the, the account actually, but it just says out of whom he had cast seven demons. Here she was delivered and now she became a devoted disciple of a devoted disciple freed from demonic bondage to divine freedom. And she, along with those other women, you read there in Luke chapter 8, that these women, Mary among them, she, she followed this band, Jesus and his apostles, right, as they, as they did their public ministry. And they she, she and others greatly aided him in these missionary activities as they went from place to place preaching and teaching the word of God. They provided for them. Mary, among the other ladies, provided for them out of their own means, supporting them from their own possessions. They were constantly on the move as Jesus and his disciples traveled about. Think about it. I don't know that she was attached to anybody, right? She may, Evidently, she wasn't, no family, but she was able to devote herself to the, to the Lord Jesus and the band of disciples as they walked about. Delivered, she was. Now, there's a sense in which every human being is a lot like Mary. We can all relate to Mary. How is that? Well, if we're familiar with uh, the uh, uh, Ephesians, it says this, before, if you're here in Christ today, thank the Lord. But before we were in Christ, you, we were what? Dead in trespasses and sins, and which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, according to the spirit that is now working in us. Do you see the likeness there? Just like Mary, our condition, apart from Christ, think about it, Apart from him, we were once among the walking dead. You ever thought about that? That's where we were. As far as the view of God from heaven, we were among the walking dead. Did you know the dead could walk? They could, because that's you, how you did and I did before I came to Christ. Just like that, right? And we can stay on course. The dead can stay on course. Did you imagine that? You know, we just passed that awful uh, uh, holiday, you know, that they, they made up for whatever it is, the spirits, you know, the walking dead. Well, that's how way we were, literally, really. God sees us dead in trespass and sin, walking according to a course on, uh, to, a, to this course that was uh, prescribed by the prince of the power of the air. That's our condition and our course, walking according to that unseen ruler. But we thank our God. If you know the Savior, you're no longer there, right? You've got a different course route raised to life uh, through the risen Lord Jesus. And then now, so, so Mary comes and she, she, she has an awful surprise in verse number two. She uh, arrives at the, to, to, at the grave or the tomb to mourn and to weep there. But there she found disruption, right? She found disruption. What was it? Grave robbers? They, they, they. That's what she says. They. Grave robbers that came and attacked. What a dear disciple. Look what, look what she says. Uh, they have taken away the Lord. You see, the Lord, he was still the Lord, even though they had taken him away. In her mind, right? They had taken him away. So she was distraught as there was disruption found at the grave. And notice it says in verse number two also, we know not where they have laid him. There was more than Mary at the grave. Now here we're centering on Mary. It seems that John is centering on Mary. The other, the other gospels, of course, say there was others with her, but here it seems that the uh, gospel of John is, 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 uh, is zeroing in on Mary. 
Now let's notice in verse 3 through 10 the action of Peter and John. First of all, there was the alert of Mary as she took off, right? There was the disruption that she saw at the tomb and she took off to, to, to speak to the disciples, right? And then the action of Peter and John in verse 3 and 4, the aspect of Peter and John as they went about doing what they needed to do. And then lastly, the attitude of Mary in verse number 11. So try to piece together what happened here when, when she alerted them of what had transpired. Now, verse 9, while the disciples believed something happened at the tomb because it was disrupted, yet it appears that they did not believe the resurrection, right? They knew he was, it was, the body was gone. There was disruption. Why? What the scripture says, because it says they knew not the script. They did not know the scripture it expressly says. Yet there was something different about what they had viewed. It says in verse number eight, the linen clothes and the napkin about his head, right? It says uh, in, in verse number eight. And I wonder at that point, did they begin to realize, you know, the fact of the resurrection or not? The scripture stands clear. They do not, they, they uh, believed it, did not believe the resurrection because they did not yet believe the scripture. But John, you know, I, we got to wonder, he's the recorder, right? John is the recorder here of, of these words. And, and as he's writing years later and he's looking back, right, he, he perhaps, he, he, he must have believed something miraculous happened because maybe the body, uh, you know, just dematerialized because what he says in the, in the next uh, section of, of, of chapter 20 is the doors were shut and all of a sudden Jesus came in. The doors were shut and all of a sudden Jesus appeared. So John, it seems he was piecing together. Something happened here. And they, but it, the, the uh, scripture expressly says uh, they believed. Now, what did they believe? They believed that the body was gone, but they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. But praise the Lord. The scripture says he must rise from the dead. The, the scripture says in, in John chapter three, the savior must be lifted up. It says it here in chapter number 20, the savior must rise again from the dead. And then later in Acts chapter three, the savior must ascend. So we thank our God for the imperatives of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. But then notice verse number 11, but Mary. But Mary. That's what beautiful, beautiful words. Devotion, the devotion of Mary led to revelation. The devotion of Mary led to revelation and it was a dynamite devotion. I mean to tell you here was one that was attracted and cemented as it were to her Lord. The divine devotion that Mary displayed is indeed remarkable. Can you imagine what some would have said to Mary? You know, again, I don't know that she had any attachment, anybody at home pecking at her, you know, but can you imagine if they were, uh, those that were around, what in the world is wrong with you, Mary, getting up so early, going, don't you know it's dangerous, going out where it's dark? What are you just, you're just a woman. What are you going to be able to do when you get to that grave? But it doesn't matter. You see, love knows no impossibilities. This is not reasonable, they could have said to her. You're a woman. What are you going to do? But she, Mary, she displayed a love that was out of this world, did she not? For one who was not of this world. Blessed be his name. So we can learn from Mary there. So verse 12, the devotion led to further revelation. 
she had an angelic encounter. She had an angelic encounter. Now, we should stop here and, and, and just point out very briefly, very briefly, yes, angels are in the Bible. Sometime, from time to time, there seems over, an over-fascination with angels in our society. Books have been written and so forth, right? I, I've got my angel and so forth. Now, it is true. We have, the Bible does teach guardian angels, that kind of thing. It sure does. But angels in themselves are never an end to themselves in the Bible. We've got to beware of fabricated fancy that goes on in the world in which we live. But here was an angelic encounter. The devotion of Mary led to this further revelation. And it's interesting in verse 13 that the response, notice Mary's composure. In other portions of the scripture, when, when there was angelic encounters, there was fear. Don't fear, right? To the, to the shepherds, to the Mary in Luke chapter 2. Don't fear, fear not. Right? It doesn't say that here. It just seems that they, they, not, they did not say that, do not fear, because she seemed to be only interested in her Lord. Now, let's consider the question that the angels brought to Mary. Right? In verse number 13. Woman, why are you weeping? Now, I don't believe this was a solicitation for information, as if they didn't know. They knew what happened, but seemingly it was not a solicitation for information. They knew what happened, right? They could, I mean, they were there, right? But she did not. She didn't know, right? She didn't know that there was a glorious resurrection. So why the question? They were wondering why the emotion. Why are you weeping? This is a glorious event. This is a wonderful occasion. Here, and then, can you imagine what's going through their angelic heads? You know, here's one of his most devoted followers, and she's crying at such an occasion, you see. With the evidence of the resurrection all around, angels, it does, I don't believe they're omniscient, so they, they, they didn't know why, but they see her crying, and why would she be crying at the resurrection? Well, on Mary's part, it seems, she was going somewhere to weep and to mourn. They've taken him away. They, they, there's grave robbers. Whatever the case, they've taken away. She's responding to the angels. She obviously was not looking for the resurrection. She was looking to minister to her Lord, right? And, and his dead body in the tomb. But neither were the disciples looking for the resurrection, even though it was told to them, right, many times. And they had witnessed at least two resurrections or recitations, however we want to look at that, in Lazarus and the widow of Nain's son. But it does seem that by their question, they were trying to correct her inappropriate response. Uh, She took it like they were trying to gain information. Oh, you're asking me? Let me tell you, they've taken him away. No. Uh, She, so she informed them of what happened and of what she, or what she thought happened. But then, praise the Lord, When she had said this, verse 14, another being appears, right? Whom she supposed was the gardener. (laughs) She didn't know it was the Lord. Verse number 15. Now here, again, she doesn't know it's the Lord, but she does know that the Lord had done great things for her. He had cast out seven demons. But here, In this revelation that was about to take place, there'd be something far greater, far greater. He, the risen Lord, would reveal himself as such, right, as the resurrected Lord. And may our devotion to him lead us to that deeper knowledge of who he is. Notice 
her personal attention. Again, my Lord, they have taken away. I don't know where they have laid him. And, 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 and what she says, right? I don't know where they laid him. Her, here was a desire expressed to go beyond her ability. She was willing to, 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 to go and, and, and retrieve the body. But love, again, knows no impossibility. She's willing to carry that corpse back because she was so devoted to the Lord Jesus. But how did he reveal himself? Verse number 16. How did he do it? John chapter 10 says, The good shepherd knows his sheep, and he calls them by name. So she, she heard him say something, but when he said her name, right, Mary. This was not a stranger, right? Not a stranger to her. Her shepherd, the good shepherd that gave his life for the sheep. One word by Jesus and one word by Mary, Rabboni and all, and two worlds come together. There was a world of sadness prior and now a world of gladness as she stands before her risen Lord. She's like that uh, the bride in the Song of Solomon uh, where she, she says, I have found him whom my soul loves and I will not let him go. I have found him whom my soul loves and I will not let him go. Remarkable that she was able to uh, gather this and display this wonderful devotion. Now, I notice <clears throat> how devoted was she? Well, in the next chapter, the Lord Jesus is going to ask a devoted follower, a de- de- devoted disciple, Simon, do you love me? Simon, He didn't ask the, have to ask that to Mary. Mary, do you love me? Because she conveyed it, right, by her life, her lifestyle. Her, her, her actions just exuded her devotion and her appreciation uh, to the Lord. But it was not addressed to Mary like that. Do you love me, Mary? I remember years ago when our uh, <clears throat> first grandchild was born, um, she had to be able to talk by this incident, but mommy put her to bed and went out. A little while later, she said, Mommy, Mommy, what, Maggie? What is it that you want? I want to see you. Why? Because I love you, Mommy. I want to see you because I love you. And I wonder if that's the devotion that you and I have that we get to see on a daily basis, and to be able to interact with the Lord, right? This little childlike devotion conveyed that to her mother. I want to see you. I just want to see you. I want to tell you I love you. Of course, mommy was touched and almost melted, and so did grandpa when he heard the story, you know. But blessed be his name for such childlike devotion that we can learn, except you become converted and become like a little child, right? You shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. So blessed be his name for such a wonderful Devotion. And notice the, 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 the different post-resurrection words. Now, I know if you have the New King James, it says, don't cling to me. If you read King James, don't touch me. But we know uh, it, it just seems from the way it's used in other passages, it's a, a clinging, a trying to hold. The idea is retention. Don't retain me. Don't cling on to me or try to hold me here. But later, the Lord, the, 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 in the next chapter, uh, Thomas, put 
your hand into my side. So it goes beyond just touching, right? She was trying to hold him, right? And she had, uh, and then he, you know, he said in Luke chapter 4, uh, 24, handle me and see a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones like you see me have. So it's not just a matter of touching, trying to cling, right? She was trying to hold him to Mary like the other disciples would have to learn that her love would have to rise to a higher level, a spiritual communion. Her earthly affection needed to be elevated into a heavenly love, as we can see in the next chapter. Now, listen, in verse number 17, the Lord says, go, go, right? Go to my brethren. What a wonderful word. Though she was filled with sorrow, the gospel of the resurrection brought her great joy, and she was going to pass it on. Blessed be his name. And it is like that in life, right? We encounter the trials, the circumstances, and the sorrows of life. Here was a great sorrow for Mary. But now that the Lord revealed himself, he said, go. And sometimes, you know, we say, well, how are you doing? Well, I'm I'm going pretty well under the circumstances. Well, I don't know that we always have to stay under the circumstances, right? We can move ourselves out because of the risen Lord Jesus. There's no reason to to stay under such sorrow, but to have joy in the resurrected Lord. Notice she came at the beginning of the chapter to serve her Lord who had died. And here at the end of the chapter, she left to serve her Lord who was risen. Now, here would be what one is described as a beautiful sight, a beautiful uh, uh, sight above the horizon of daily existence where we can get our spiritual compass reset. Now, this, ha- this, is, this is real, right? When I go about the circumstances of life and the daily uh, trials and, 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 and so forth, right? I, I, I have the risen Lord to walk with me. I must have the Savior with me, for I dare not walk alone, the hymn writer says. And so I don't have to stay under the circumstances. I don't have to stay in such a, 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 a miserable condition, you know? Oh, you know, nobody loves me, everybody hates me, that kind of thing, you know. No, no, I don't have to stay like that, right? I have joy in the risen Lord that I can walk and, and, and rejoice in him. Now, uh, we, there in verse number 18, Mary is the first witness of the resurrection. She's the first messenger of the uh, Easter story. And she was also, as some have pointed out, an apostle to the apostles, right? Because the Lord sent her to the apostles. Imagine that, a woman. To, to, what remarkable thing. There was multiple Marys in the New Testament, but Mary Magdalene is unique in this miraculous and momentous event. She had a great deliverance, and she was privileged to deliver such a wonderful message. Mary, in New Testament terminology, was delivered from the power of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of God's dear son. What a wonderful privilege. Am I affected like Mary regarding this event? What about when I go about tomorrow, you know, into the daily round of life, you know, and, and, and face whatever circumstances it may be. Maybe it's something that's happening to me now. Maybe it's something that happened to me yesterday or the month ago, a year ago, and I'm still affected. Does the risen Lord mean anything you see? Does, it, it, does he bring the joy, the joy and rejoicing of my heart? Is that who the Lord Jesus is to us? Back in verse 15. We're almost done here. Back in verse 15, it says, she supposed him to have been the gardener. There's a great sense in which he was the gardener. In the Bible, 
Adam is the first man. The Lord is the second man from heaven. Adam, the first man, when he was created, he turned a garden into a graveyard. The world around him turned into a graveyard. But the second man, the Lord from heaven, he turns a graveyard into a garden. Every time I pass and every time you pass a cemetery, you can see the bodies that are sown in weakness and will be raised in power, sown in corruption, raised in incorruption. I pass by a grave and I can see that there are bodies planted there. And one day, praise the Lord, they will rise. The dead in Christ will rise first, you see. Yeah, we go by by a cemetery. We put our flowers, we mow our grass and all that wonderful thing to, to make death look pretty. But the only one that has triumphed over death and will bring back that corruptible body and made like unto his body that is incorruptible will be the Lord Jesus. He is the gardener, you see, <laughs> planting these bodies here, there and everywhere. You know, we mourn because of the dead, but blessed be his name. When I look at that, even when I go to a funeral, I look at the, I look at the shell of a person. And yes, I love them, but I praise the Lord when they go down into the grave, they will be raised and have a body fashioned like his glorious body. So the resurrection that have the same effect on you as it does on Mary. I didn't know. Uh, we were going to sing that song Andrew had for us because he lives. But I'd like to sing it again because we, some of you weren't here when we did. So we're going to sing that. If you can bring it up there on the, on the screen. And perhaps we can stand as we sing this hymn. And I want to just say this. <clears throat> Maybe you remember years ago as we stand up to sing this song. Years ago there was a if you can't stand. Years ago, there was a, uh, a well-known sermon that was circulated. And if you're ever interested, it's very moving. It's called this. It's Friday and Sunday's coming. There was a lot of evil things that those, that enemies and friends did to the Lord Jesus. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. Look it up. It's very, very moving. But I've got a little twist on this because of our lesson today. It's Sunday. And Monday's coming because the effects should be borne out practically, right, in our lives. When we go to work, when we go to school, when we go to wherever we go, right? It's Sunday. The resurrection has occurred, but Monday's coming. Am I willing? Do I walk with such devotion like Mary to wherever I go? And am I devoted to him? When I come into the lunchroom, do they say, oh, here's Christ. He's coming in. Or am I a closet Christian? I have no idea that I I know the Lord. Am I devoted? That devoted to the Lord that I'm willing to. Do that. Let's sing it together. Because he lives, I can face sorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know, oh, he holds a future. And life is worth the living just because he lives. God sent his son. They called him Jesus. He came to love, heal and forgive. He lived and died. To buy my pardon 
and empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives because he lives I can face tomorrow because he lives all fear is gone because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives.